Good evening and welcome to The Obelisk. Tonight's guest is Christopher Knowles. Christopher Knowles is the author of the newly published novel, He Will Live Up in the Sky. He's also the author of The Secret History of Rock and Roll, The Music. He's also the author of the Eagle Award-winning Our Gods Wear Spandex, The Secret History of Comic Book Heroes, and the critically acclaimed Clash City Showdown, The Music the meaning, and the legacy of The Clash. He's a co-author of The Complete X-Files, Behind the Series, The Myths, and the Movies, an authorized companion to the long-running TV series. He's also the author of The Secret Sun blog, and just an amazing I'm thrilled to have him here. Chris, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Is it okay to call you Chris? You can call me whatever you like. Okay. <laughs> Nish? She's gone. Her dogs must be barking. Anyway, what's been going on? Oh, everything. Been <laughs> extremely busy boy lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that I should mention is that uh, I do have a more recent book than the American Midnight, oh. which I published in November. Is that and, on uh, Amazon? That is on Amazon. Yeah. Um, that's sort of a collection of writings. And uh, I've got another book in the works right now, and I'm also working on a sequel to He Will Live Up in the Sky that I'm real excited about. And I'm mm -hmm. also running the uh, Secret Sun Institute of Advanced Synchromysticism on Patreon and uh, Secret History of Rock and Roll blog. So I've got a lot of fun. i been a very busy boy. It's good. It's good. Very I'm... industrious. I need to uh, join your Patreon. I want to get in on that synchromysticism. On my Patreon which was very very interesting so it was scarily oh. accurate so what was your moon <laughs> sign and your rising sign if you recall uh, my rising sign sagittarius and my moon sign was also cancer oh double cancer and that yeah. sag and polar opposite lord have mercy well capricorn is actually the polar opposite of cancer oh so. wait sag wait no i was talking about sag right no right okay i guess i'll <laughs> take your word for it the Sagittarius, that was your rising or your moon? That's my rising. Yeah. Those are my favorite teachers. Sagittarius are good. That's an interesting uh, polarity there, though, in your, in your trinity, fire and water. Yeah, I guess it is. I have no earth. I, have like, I guess I have no earth signs anywhere, so that's why I'm so flighty and completely impractical. You'll do well in the next nine years when... <laughs> yeah, when the a fan. <laughs> well, in the... And any, as Robert Phoenix has been talking about, we're not going to have any um, heavy earth to ground us out. So it's going to get crazy in that sense. Well, that's, you know, crazy has been my entire life. So Yeah, same here. 
I just listened to your wonderful chat with your friend and ours, uh, Greg Carlwood. Very much enjoyed that. Oh, which one? The latest one. It was like a month ago or something. Yeah, that was a good one. June? Yeah, the yeah. um yes yeah. yes and where that's where i first heard about your synchromistic stuff you're doing on your website and all this yeah i've been doing synchromysticism actually for about 25 years now i i started doing it publicly i guess in 2007 but i've been doing it on my own for quite some time and it really actually picked up speed after 9 11 that was sort of the impetus when i really started getting serious about it and I mean, actually, you know, like the, the, the early books I wrote, particularly I Grads with Spandex was really sort of a result of the synchromistic work. So um, such as it is, I guess I owe my life to synchromysticism. <laughs> well, what is I owe this? my career, all my riches, all my glory. <laughs> what is, the, the goddess synchromysticism. What, so what is this new thing you have on your privately for people that join your world? that deals with this. I, I think Jerry, you were, we're just talking we're, about it. You mean the Patreon? The, 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 yes. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm doing the uh, Secret Sun Institute of Advanced Synchromysticism. And That's there's actually it. like, there's a ton of material up there already. And I'm doing a lot of in-depth work and just basically sort of approaching it as a discipline. You know, I said, I want it to be a legitimate form of woo you know, I mean, because synchronicism yes. <laughs> is kind of thing that everybody does and everybody can do. And it just, it seems to be like this little, you know, bastard stepchild of all the more exalted forms of divination or whatever, whatever, you know, like tarot or astrology or whatever. I mean, I, I think it's more reliable personally, but you know, there you go. How can, um, how can you use it as a divination tool? Well, it's the same kind of deal where like things establish themselves as patterns. So the longer you do it, the more you see the patterns that, that, that are established and you can start to like, you know, it's just, it's a natural flow. It's like, well, this happens, this, and this happens, you know, there's a certain sequence of events that you can start to anticipate where they're going to lead. So, so you can more easily navigate reality. Yeah. Um, I, I think so. And, and I've actually, you know, in the past couple of years, I mean, I've actually, my entire reality paradigm has just completely shifted. So I guess it was kind of like a, almost like a critical mass thing, you know, where I was sort of puttering along in fits and starts and peaks and valleys, and then just really sort of just hit this new reality paradigm. Um, you know, it was, it, I had to pay a pretty, pretty steep price for it, but, you know, it's, when you're on the other side of it, I, I just don't see the world in, any way, shape, or form the way I used to, which is, you know, it's very liberating, I think. You know, it's, it's very it liberating to, to, to not, you know, because there's so much gaslighting going on right now, oh and so much brainwash yep. and mind control, yes. and it's just like, when you shift outside that paradigm, you know, you have to accept the fact that you're going to be outside the gates, so to speak. But, you know, I think there's a, there's a greater sense of um, inner peace, I guess you would say, that you, you don't, you know, come what may, uh, rain or shine, you, you know, you, un you start to understand that the world is so fake. And, yes. Yes. you know, the world that we live in, the, the culture and the civilization and the society that we live in has just become completely artificial. And, you know, and I'm not talking like in a sort of like a, you know, a um, 
cliched hippie sense. I'm just saying that you just realize that everything that we're told is true is not true. And you know, our science is fake and our politics are fake and our media is fake and just yes, everything is just really fake. And you know, you start to realize that when you when you're able to see the architecture beneath, you know, it's kind of like peeking behind the curtain, you know, and you can sort of see the the ropes and pulleys, you know, that the, the yes. stage musicians use. And and once you do that, you, you can never unsee it. You can't unsee it. You can never go back. You can never go back to like thinking that what you see in the mainstream media is any basis in reality or that science as it's presented in the pop popular science culture or press has any basis in reality. Um, you just realize all this stuff is fake and you, you start to actually see it. You know, you're able to like actually perceive the illusion, which is, you know, I mean, it's, it's liberating and terrifying at the same time, but you know, I would never <laughs> go back, you know, because the thing is, you know, one of the things I tell people is like, what's the whole point of this stuff? Like what's really the meaning of this? And I think one of the, you know, the bullet points that I would advertise is like, you can just stop getting drawn into all these artificial conflicts and stop being beholden to all the gaslighting and the, you know, the diversions and distractions, and you can just start to see things for what they are. And um, like I said, it's not easy and, and it can be very difficult and painful and, and you can be ostracized and sort of exiled because of it. But when you just realize that the people are sort of sleepwalking through their lives, yeah. you can't unsee that. You can never go back to pretending that things are okay, that things are not falling apart very, very rapidly. So I yeah, always find I, I always find, Chris, that people that wake up to the world around them and see it as it as it seems to be. Uh, have a deep history with this. It's usually like something in their childhood uh, pivoted them into looking at the world differently. And it's usually outcasts and all this. Where where was that for you? You said recently you had a big shift in perspective, but were you always this way? Yeah, pretty much. Um... You know, we, I don't want to talk about my childhood and you probably want to hear about it, uh, to be honest with you, because <laughs> you don't have um, to talk about anything you don't want to. I'm just wondering. No, if it, yeah, always had this ability. I don't know if it's an ability. I, I think it's just more of an inclination than an ability. Just never. When you're on the outside, when you're outside the, your entire life, it gives you a different perspective. Um, For sure. You know, and, well, you don't notice it until you're outside of your bubble, though. Like, I didn't realize I was so strange to people until I got out in the world. No, it's true. It's true. But, I mean, how do I put this? A lot, there are a lot, a lot of events and, and things that sort of accumulated over the years, you know? I mean, it's, it's something that I've just always had this, this off-kilter sort of perspective that I've always just had the sense of, of being different and, and being outside and not fitting in anywhere. And you always notice the things that nobody else notices. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But you know, you're able to do that. Like, cause I said, you, you, it's the kind of thing where like, we're say we're constantly told that things are, are this way and this way, and, and this happened and this happened, and this looks like this and this behaves like this. And we don't understand that our perceptions are so 
dictated to us by these narratives. Yeah. And once you just stop believing the narratives, it's like I said, it, it just the scales fall from your eyes and you can't go back. And that's both a good thing and a bad thing, you know, particularly as this whole process that we're going through accelerates and, and the fact that, you know, this, this country in particular is becoming increasingly draconian, increasingly totalitarian <laughs> and so on. But door to door vaccination coming. Yeah. You know, I, one of the things that I've been telling people is that you should really watch the, um, the, the movie adaptation of um, uh, Radio Free Album with the yeah. Fred K. Dick book. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really frightening just to see how, you know, we're living that. You just sort of just switch, you know, there's just little sort of details that are negative to, to the time and place that the book was written. But just as, you know, if you can transpose those, just shift them over a little bit, uh, you just start to realize it's like, yeah, we're living in this right now. We really are. It's, um, wasn't there, know. wasn't there a song in that? story that was the the key to freedom yeah yeah so but you know it's a, it's a long you know, things didn't get like this overnight no. and they're not going to change right. overnight you know right. a process and I, I think one of the problems that that people have you know people who have sort of like this heroic revolutionary kind of mindset you know for instance i saw this a lot with the q people you know it's sort of like this like one punch joey kind of thing you know it's like well you know, trump's gonna swoop down and and arrest the cabal and it's like every, all our problems will just be solved for us and it's just like no that's not how anything works you know everything is a process everything is a is a, is a very slow gradual process real change is, is is a very slow and evolutionary thing it's not something that just happens overnight i mean usually Overnight change is what they call trauma, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, and trauma always <laughs> creates, it creates slapback and, and all these kind of other unpleasant side effects. So real change is something that, that takes a lot of work. And it's, and it's something that I think about a lot too, is like one thing that I'm always telling myself is I'll see all these things going on in the news, whatever. And I'm always just like, that's not my job. You know, that's not my job to worry about that. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about this and that, you know, that the, the media is constantly telling me that I should worry about. And it's like, no, that's not my job. It's not my job to worry about those things. And I think if everybody sort of like picked their job and stayed in their lane and worked to the best of their abilities, you know, change would not be this as, as grinding and, and as arduous, I think. You know, I think one of the problems is that you know, the whole idea of division of labor is something that people don't really think about anymore because we're sold these heroic narratives through, through media and, and through Hollywood that, um, first of all, they're all lies. They're all deliberate lies. And they're all lies that are deliberately told to you to um, disempower you, to cripple you. So if you step away from the whole heroic, you know, I am the Messiah or I'm going to be... <laughs> part of this messianic movement or, or whatever and you just focus on what you can do and what you can do every day to force the process of change along i think you're going to be a lot more successful than these you know i mean like i said i mean this this whole q narrative it's just <laughs> I, you know it's just a, yeah well it's something that i seem like i see people talking about more like q more like people from this you know like 
I don't want to call them the left because they're not actually the left. I mean, one of the things I say is that like the left means you're opposed to the power structure. The right means that you are um, submissive to the power structure. So if you're submissive to big tech and the CIA and to the military industrial complex, you're no longer left. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't right. matter how the rhetoric has shifted. If you're submissive to the power structure, if you're submissive to the surveillance state, you're an extreme right winger. So that's why I think a lot, when I see a lot of people who claim to be left because they use all these catchphrases and buzzwords, it's like, no, you're an extreme right winger because you are more beholden and submissive to the power structure than anybody has been in the history of this country. You know what I'm saying? It's true. So yeah, it's, it's absolutely true. But, um, so I see these people talking more about Q than I actually see people, you know, like who are actually Q people. I, to be honest with you, I, I have almost zero interaction or exposure to Q people. Like I'll see things get reposted on Twitter once in a while or anything, but it's like, I just, I just don't have any interaction with that, that whole mindset at all. But you know, what I did see of it when I was, when it was sort of new and it was coming up is I just saw this, like, it's just so Hollywood. You know, it's just this really Hollywood idea yes. of like, you know, the um, the lawman riding into town, you know, on the white horse. And, <laughs> and they even use those expressions like white hats and black hats. It's yep. like, dude, this is all Hollywood. You just this is all Hollywood propaganda that you're just trying to transpose or uh, project onto this whole fantasy that, that world that you're spinning. And I get, I get a lot of grief for this. I mean, I've, I've had a lot of, you know, cute people show up in my comments and say, you know, you don't, you don't get it and, you know, you're out of touch and all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, no, no, I'm not. I, I, just, I saw that stuff. I saw the stuff that became Q back in like the late 2000s, 2010s. You know, people like, um, what's that guy's name? Oh. I don't know, but people like Wilcock and all this kind of stuff who were, you know, this whole yeah. idea of the cabal and then oh, this dragon oh. society and, and Wait, Benjamin, Drake Bailey. Well, Benjamin Fulford, Benjamin Fulford and, yeah. yeah, and Wilcock and everything. So it's just like when I saw this Q stuff, I was like, wait a minute, I was reading this stuff 10 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? Coming from Fulford and Wilcock and all these other people. It's mm -hmm. like, how is, you know, it's just it just seemed very strange to me that it was so easily recycled for for an audience that hadn't been um exposed to it and again i mean people get mad at me when i say this stuff but um i'm have, sorry have you by chance listened to uh cliff high's latest video about the q stuff no i used to follow q uh cliff high mm -hmm. q high forgive me cliff i didn't <laughs> say that <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't say that um I used to listen to Cliff a long time ago, I guess. Oh, golly. Um, this might be in the mid 2000s or so. But, um, you know, his worldview was a little, I don't know, it was a little kind of science fiction y for me. I, I couldn't really get a toehold. And I know a lot of people, you know, in my groups and stuff talk sure. about his work, but I haven't really kept up with it. I, I, I don't have anything against him. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to say, like, I'm not saying anything bad about sure. him. Sure, sure. It's just that I just, that's not really my jam. Yeah, he just put out a video um, talking about Q and what it represented and how he picked it up in his data, his WebBot data, like 10 years ago-ish. It was an interesting conversation. He's not hes not like a Q tard or anything. He's not into it. But he does recognize it that it was a marker, a time, temporal marker, as he calls them, in his vision of the future. 
as a starting or starting point of the uh, what he called AMREV two, the American Revolution two. Yeah. Which is a, yeah, mm, yeah, a culture, I, I cultural revolution. It's not a physical one. Well, we're going through a cultural revolution right now. You know, oh. but one of the things that I tell people, and I don't, I don't know if this is like reason for optimism <laughs> per se, but you know, we're going through like late imperial convulsions, you know, late yes. capitalism, late imperial. I mean, this is just, we're going through the same convulsions that other empires have gone through. Yep. And what this all is leading to, because I, I believe that culture and empire and politics and all that stuff are all beholden to the powers of nature. I think we, we are speeding towards, um, a, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too, you know, negative or pessimistic about it. But, you know, I think we're, we're looking at a period of earth changes that I think are going to just upset the entire apple cart. And, and my reading of what the things that are going on right now is that to me, it just seems like a desperate scramble on the part of the power structure to protect themselves. You know, that's why they're, you know, buying land yep. on, on New Zealand, you know, these islands right. in the middle of New Zealand or buying land in the middle of like Wyoming, you know, right, the, the Midwest around the Great Lakes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're trying to find all these, you know, um, remote areas. And Ozarks down there. Yeah. It because, let's, you know, it's like there's just a rhythm to nature. It's, it, it's all cyclical. And this is what I talk about with synchromysticism is that synchromysticism ultimately is a way to try to um, understand the rhythms that, that, you know, what we, we call memes or symbols, semiotics, I, whatever term you want to use, I mean, they're all part of this, this greater process that, you know, of, of a natural mind that, that we are expressions of, that, that we are beholden to in many ways. So if we look at the way these events tend to go in cycles and tend to follow certain patterns, you know, then we can begin to understand them. And, you know, it's just that by my reading, I, I really believe that we are, um, I, I don't think we're in a good place right now. I really don't. And I, I think that the, the political climate that we're faced with, I think is, is uh, I think it's almost a rear guard action to try and stave off what is happening in the natural world, which I think is gonna be the, determinant, which is going to be the determining factor in how everything else is going to proceed. And like I said, I mean, I used to be a big sort of Romophile, you know, I used to read a lot of books on Rome and, and Caesar and, and all these kind of things, and particularly the late imperial period. And also, you know, how power sort of shifted to Byzantium that, you know, Byzantium was it was considered Rome. I mean, they didn't call themselves Byzantines or by, you know, they didn't call their country Byzantium. They considered it Rome. They called themselves Roman. Yes. Because what had happened is that the, you know, the power structure of Rome sort of saw which way the wind was going and realized that the Western empire and the city of Rome and, and these, these big city states in the Italian peninsula were just headed in a bad direction that, you know, there, this, this power was unsustainable. So they chose a spot, they deliberately supposed to, uh, chose a spot, you know, that area around Turkey, that, that it was more defensible, that was more easily defensible because of, you know, the, 
I guess, what is it, the Black Sea and the Carpathian Mountains and just all these kind of natural barriers that they could sort of um, retreat to. And I, I think that same process is, is starting now. And I think that's why, again, why a lot of these big tech guys and hedge fund guys and all this kind of stuff are buying land in remote areas um, because they, they're smart enough to know that something's coming down the pike. And I think all the this fake political stuff that's going on out there is is just kind of a way to distract us, I, I would say. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I said, I don't want to sound like, you know, a prophet of doom here because no, please, I, in I, a lot of ways I'm not. But I just I, I do see that, you know, we're, we're, we're headed down a very difficult path that has been traveled by empires before us. You know? Well, it's like. This is the thing with talk, everything's dark right now. And so actually looking at it and talking about it is going to be dark because that's what we're looking at in the outer world. And it, I keep hearing people, and I've done this on my other show too, where I'm trying not to be a doom queen, but at the same time, everything's really dark. And it's, it's important for us to talk about it and not sugarcoat things as we are perceiving them and to allow each other this leeway in trying to figure out what in the fuck is going on. In, in a way, it's a collective shadow work exercise. It's also a mass trauma event that, that was put on by a gang of people. And I don't know why it seemed that seems to be such a radical thing. When you look, step back and look at the patents, look at the people that are converging in certain uh, places in the world and talking about stuff that deals with the planet in general and not see that these things could be possibly might be connected. Yeah. So, uh, Chris, going back to your um, coming turmoil, do you think they're like we're starting to enter into the grand solar minimum, right? And I've heard so, but, you know, I, I don't have like a background in that kind of thing. You know? Yeah, I was just curious if you thought maybe the changes to the to the sun cycle and our magnetic field, there's possible reversal coming up. We're due for one a magnetic reversal. You mean like a pole shift? Like a pole shift. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think those kind of events play into the coming cataclysm that you foresee? No, I want well, to like say cataclysm. I, said, uh, I don't say cataclysm. Yeah, that's yeah, it's a harsh word. Yeah, it is. The turmoil. I, yeah, I, I think just like a, a period of difficulty, I think is the best way to look okay. at it. Um, so more, more uh, social civilization issues more than like planet. Because you, you mentioned no, planetary no, 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 changes. No, 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 okay. no, no, no. I, I, I think that well, first of all, I think that the latter are the reflection of the former. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yep. I mean, we're, we're biological beings that are subject to the forces of nature. So when the forces of nature are in turmoil, mm -hmm. we are going to be. It's inevitable, right. you know, because we are beholden to the environment. You know, I mean, I, I tell this story a lot, but I, I want to tell it again because, you know, maybe your listeners haven't heard it. But um, I guess it was, I think it was 2011. So it was Halloween, right? And there was an early snowstorm, an early blizzard, okay? And we got about a foot and a half of snow. But the problem was, is that we had a, it was a warm 
autumn, like the early autumn was very warm. So all the trees were still dressed, you know, they all still had leaves on them. So what had happened is that we got a foot and a half of snow and the trees couldn't bear the weight. So what had happened is that trees were just falling everywhere. Branches were breaking everywhere. I mean, I was outside, my son and I were trying to keep the pussy willow that it was falling from the weight from crushing my wife's car. I mean, we're like we're literally there, like, you know, like her Atlas or something trying to hold this tree up. And it was like, I thought I was in like an old World War II movie because so many branches were just snapping. It just sounded like bombs going off. It was like, and, and, and I, I, I was like, well, what is going on? There's this like little gentle snowflakes falling from the sky. And, and I was, I, a thought came to my head that really just was such a game changer for me. I was like, why don't they stop this? <laughs> I said aloud to myself, it's like, nobody can stop this. There's no stopping this. You know what I mean? This is, this is, there's nothing that anybody can do. And this is when I started to realize that, you know, like our, so much of this comic book science that you hear, particularly sort of in the alternative realm, it's just all lies. It's, it's all lies. It's just like when, you know, there, all these very deceptive headlines, you know, this could happen or this might happen. And, and people <laughs> sort of see that and they interpret it as like, oh, that will happen. Or that is happening, you know what I mean? Or it, it has happened, you know, like a lot of alternative guys like, hey man, you know, if they say it's coming, that means they were doing it 50 years ago. It's like, no, they weren't. Right, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, I that's, that. like a, that's such a childish way of looking at the world. So um, I, I just realized like, why did I think that somebody could stop this? You know what I mean? That snow is falling over the entire Northeast, right? And Who's going to stop it? Who's going to, there's nothing, there's literally nothing anybody could have done about it. And then the next year, Superstorm Sandy pulls into town. Right. And um, for some reason, I, I don't understand why. Like, I'm pretty, like, I'm about like an hour inland from the shore. You know, about, yeah, about an hour inland. And um, we got hammered and we, we just got, I mean, we went out the next day and I thought I was like in one of those, like, fall of Berlin movies, you know what I mean? Where everything is just rubble and, and, and just like, you know, there were like trees that had fallen into houses, trees that had fallen into cars, people were trapped in their house. You know, we, we, we were just walking around, we went up to the cemetery and there were these like giant oaks that had, you know, bases, root bases that were 10 feet tall, that were, they looked like dominoes, you know what I mean? Just like knocked over one after the other. And I'll tell you something, it just, it just changed the way I saw the world because I realized, no, nature, nature's the boss. Nature rules, you know what I mean? The sea yeah. rules, yeah. you know? The power of the sea that's expressed through these storms rules. You know, the power of the sky rules. You know, the power of the tectonic plates rules. That's the real rulers of this planet, you know what I mean? Everybody else is just an ant on the back of an elephant, you know what I'm saying? And it's just, it's just, it's just nonsense. And I'll tell you something, it just started this whole process. But at the same time, simultaneously, I was really sick. And um, I had this condition that was being misdiagnosed. So not only was I sick, but they were like pumping me full of like morphine and fentanyl and one drug after another, all these uh, benzodiazepines. And I swear to God, it was just making everything worse because I had an inf inflammatory 
condition, but nobody wanted to give me anti-inflammatories because they couldn't make money off the anti-inflammatories. They're making <laughs> of money off of topiramate and they were making yeah. money off of um, Lyrica and this, you know, whatever. And I just got so sick and I was in so much pain. And I can't tell you the amount of times, like how many days in like within like a four or five year period that I was just like lying in bed, you know, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't watch television. I couldn't read. I couldn't listen to music. I was in so much pain that all I could do is just like sit there and writhe like all night and day. I was like, just, it was just like, I was in hell. It was like medieval torture. And I was just like, every day I'd be just like, just kill me now. You know, just like stop my heart. It's just like, I can't take this anymore. Just please let me die. And like when I, when I got on the other side of that, right. I was just like, oh, this is all gravy. You know what I mean? This like the rest of my life. It's just like, you know, my, my kids are all grown. They're out of the house, you know, Reception. Um, and everything is just, you know, this is just extra innings, you know, as far as I'm concerned, because it's just like, I can't, like, I, I'm not trying to be dramatic or exaggerating in any way, but just like the, how many days that I just spent, like just wanting to be dead, just like wanting to die. And then like getting to the point, like every morning I'd wake up and I was like, is today the day? Is today the day that I'm just like, I can't deal with this shit anymore? Is today the day I'm just like, I'm just checking out. Cause this, I, if this is gonna be the rest of my life, I don't want, you know, I'm done, you know? And getting on the other side of that, it's just like, I don't know. It, it's, it's very much like being tied to the rack and then being free. Well, you know, you, it, it just totally changes. Like my, my, like, this is one of the things that really just changed my perception of the entire world is just like, you know, when you get to that edge and you just, you just like, I know this is, this is, this is not going to work for me. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the clouds part mm. and the sun comes back out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, How so. long ago was this Chris? Well, you know, it's the kind of thing that I, I was started for me in high school. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it just got continually worse. And it started getting real bad, I guess, in like 2002, 2003. And, you know, like my lost years, you know. Um, Yours too. <laughs> it would be like 2013 to 2017, mm -hmm. at least, you know, maybe even a little earlier. Yeah. It was just like, like, I didn't even know that kind of pain was even possible, you know. And it was just like, it wasn't like, you know, so there's that kind of pain, you know what I mean? Like that you, you recognize as pain. Yeah. But there was, I was also dealing with something, I don't know if you're familiar with, it's called paresthesia. And paresthesia is like when the nerves are get all ir irritated, right? Yeah. But they, they're not sending like those classical pain signals. It's un, unimaginably worse. You know what I mean? Like paresthesia, you know, it's like your funny bone, you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you hit your elbow, like just imagine that all over your body all day yeah terrible like seriously just, just imagine what that's like and um and it wouldn't just be like you know one expression of that that you could kind of adjust to and at least anticipate because it was always changing you know the nerves are always irritated in different ways and uh yeah this Still. is what this is what gives you this deep insight. I was going to say. I think I was wondering what, that's what I was wondering earlier though. It's usually these kinds of things. And it certainly was for me and listening to other people 
speak like you just did, that first of all, that's a service to other people getting some of that fruit now. Um, so I see that. That's interesting. I had no idea that you had gone through this kind of pain, this kind of experience, but it makes sense with the wisdom you bring forth. A trial. It's your trial. Well, um, Gordon White had said it was um, something like that I was very good at experiencing shamanic pain. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Like, <laughs> I was like, I, I, believe me, I, I, I could have done very well without that experience. Yes. You know, like that, that would be fine. You know, if I didn't have to go through that, that would have been, my life would have been complete, believe me. Were, um, were you a gamer as a teen? No. I was a punk rocker, man. Okay. I was hey, me hard, too. I was there was a, a hardcore kid. There was this role-playing game called Shadowrun. It's still around. But it's uh, basically a cyberpunk with magic kind of game. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, it's a, I, I love the game. It was great. The um, In order to be a magical wizard in that game, you had to go through what they call the Giaz, where you had this this horrible trial you had to go through. And then I kind of you became enlightened after that. That's, that's what came to mind when you were talking about your your story. Well, that's, yeah. that's the process. It's an initiation. Huh? Gordon White's in the chat. Speak of the devil. Hello, Gordon. Hey, Gordon. So it, it's interesting, Chris, because today, a few days, I guess maybe a couple weeks ago, I was having this conversation with my hideous, and I was editing that today. And it was the same topic. And it's about the pathways of pain and how everything... First of all, everything's perception. You were talking about that earlier. You didn't use that terminology. But these types of shamanic initiations, if we want for the common uh, modern meme of it, are a big deal. And I know you say you would not, you could have done without that, but who would you be now without that? I don't know. Maybe I'd be happy and successful. You are so you are successful, but are you so you're not happy? No, well, I'm happy. Uh, no, I'm happy. I'm I'm I'm, ha- I'm actually happier now that I've been since I was like in high school. Oh, that's well. See, because like maybe after I think I was happy when like when I got out of high school and I sort of got away from my my family and stuff. I had to like. You know, I had a lot of problems with my mother and my family and stuff. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, stuff I can't really go into. But yeah, I um, I remember when I got away from that, I was like, I was very happy. And it, what it taught me, though, is that it taught me that, like, it's the classical almost Buddhist thing where, like, the more attached you become, you become to things or to a situation you know the more that you have weighing you down the more that you become enslaved to i think is is not you know it's it's not an unapt term right but like i think freedom and happiness come from just letting go from a lot of a lot of things you know, particularly the things that we're told you need, you know, and it isn't just like society, you know, I mean, it's things that whatever your niche tells you that you should have, or, you know, whatever, just like your circle of friends or your family. I mean, like I said, it doesn't have to be like Madison Avenue or something. Yeah. It's like we but build I, mind prisons for ourselves. 
Right, right. So, but I think the the one thing that I think, you know, the one positive experience, I mean, like the, the most positive thing about the, the, you know, dealing with that pain for so long was not dealing with it. Like that was like a really good thing to come out of that was having it be over. But um, I think that the, I don't know, it just, it takes away your fear. Yes. You know, because I, one thing that I realized too is, so, so I was on all these drugs. I mean, I was taking like 90 milligrams of oxymorphone a day, which is like taking 18 Percocet a day. Wow. And then on top of that, I was taking like um, stuff called Nucinta, which is sort of like a more powerful uh, Altram. And I was on like 150 milligrams. Of I mean, this is like zombie doses. I, you know, I had this doctor who actually got his license pulled. And oh, like, wow. the thing was, is like, I, you know, I wasn't, feeling it like I was just feeling worse and worse and worse because you know I had an inflammatory condition and just he wouldn't give me an anti-inflammatory like once in a while he'd put me on like prednisone I'd be like hey you know what I feel a lot better with that prednisone maybe you can put me like we can start talking about like anti-inflammatories and they're like oh no no this is neurological and we got to do this and we got to do that and it's like it's because he was way on the pad of all the pharmaceutical companies I mean they those guys were in I never went to the doctor without somebody with those big, you know, cases, those big sales cases or whatever. I mean, it was just, it was absurd. And I actually looked him up and he was making like $3,000 a month from kickbacks from the, uh, from the pharmaceutical companies. But, um, you know, when I got off those drugs and, and I had to get off them because he got his license pulled. I mean, it was the best thing that ever happened to me, him getting his license pulled because I hadn't really realized it's like, oh no, you know, it's like, these drugs are making it worse. It's what's called a um, paradoxical reaction. And it's very yes. common with long-term opioid use is that your brain just gets all scrambled up and like you, you lose the ability to produce dopamine, you lose the ability to produce neuro, norepinephrine and all these kind of you know, happy pills that you drug, your brain creates uh, naturally. So, um, you know, so then I went through withdrawal. So I went through withdrawal of like, you know, a five or six really notoriously difficult to wean yourself off of like, you know, drugs that all, all had like a very high um, addiction. Well, a threshold for adverse reaction to, to withdrawal. I mean, I'm, I'm just sort of spitballing here because I don't know the exact terminology, but they all had like a very high dependency profile, let's just say. So um, that was like, I, you know, I went from like hell to like the ninth pit of hell. You know what I'm saying? Because the, oh, <laughs> the, the anti-inflammatories hadn't really started to work because, you know, there's so much work to be done because I, I have what's called um, trigger points. And it's just like these ropey cords of muscle all over my body. I mean, I still have them, but they don't hurt like they used to. But um, so I was, having, I was still in pain. I was still in a lot of pain. And then I was also going through withdrawal. So it was like just how much worse is my life going to get? You know what I'm saying? But like I said, it's just, it's very liberating. You know, it's, it's like, there's a great line in Jacob's Ladder, you know, Meister Eichhardt said that, you know, when you, you're going through purgatory, you don't realize that the, the, the devils are really angels and they're, they're burning yes. away all your attachments to the world. You know what I mean? I love that movie. Um, I watched that movie, like, I, I, <laughs> I think more than a hundred times because it's just a lot of like, you know, a lot of stuff that just was very 
real to me. But anyway, just this whole idea of like, you know, you go through this hell, but it, it, it burns away your attachments. You know what I mean? And you start to realize that so much you're suffering really arise from attachments. It's, you know, it's yes. Buddhism 101, let's just say. Mm-hmm. It's true, you know? I mean, it's sometimes cliches are cliches because they're based in truth, right? Well, there's a lot of association with the hangman and the tarot and the journey of the tarot it, with attachments. This is when ready or not on the journey, you're going to be confronted with them one way or another. And then I guess that changes the trajectory. How you deal with it, your perception, as we were talking about earlier. Well, you know, but here's the other thing, though, is that because pain... Pain sort of elicits like, you know, adrenal reaction. It elicits this like, it's just natural. Like, you know, if an animal is hurt, they're going to be super vigilant because they need to protect themselves because is, is the threat that, that injured them, is it, is it still in their immediate vicinity? I mean, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, I think that the pain and the addiction and then the withdrawal, and I think a lot of that did open up my perception you know, I, I, I started to see things that I hadn't seen, you know, and, and I, I mean, I would say, you know, that, you know, my powers of perception were pretty good before, yeah. but it just, it just accelerated, you know, just deepened. Well, that's why I call it an initiation. And, you know, this is the thing with, if, for people that haven't dealt with extreme severe pain, it's, you know, I mean, it's not anything like you'd said earlier, you don't want that. And one of the things I've always noticed, and you described this beautifully, is that clarity that happens when you move away from the pain, the day you wake up and you don't feel it is amazing to me. And when you're writhing in it, uh, it's, it's just every second feels like an eternity. And you realize that before that, you didn't realize, you take it for granted, feeling good. And it's easy to get back into that when you're in having a, a, when you're not feeling terrible, when you just feel copacetic and everything's good. It's like the perfect temperature outside where you don't feel hot or cold. And, and then when it comes back again, you know, it all of a sudden, it's like all those long moments while you were suffering before that would go on and on this little bit between sessions of pain seems less than than a second when you're in in the throes of extreme pain well you know i'm keeping my fingers crossed you know because what would happen is that i i would have bouts where i'd have like you know a bad week or so and then it would clear up so i'm hoping that this isn't just like a little interregnum so to speak uh, I, I don't think it is i mean i think that like i said the, the problem would have gone away a long time ago if i had doctors that weren't yes um being controlled by um payola from the, the pharmaceutical companies well but, that's a good yeah. old allopathic system yeah well so, so, so <laughs> the funny thing is though is that like so i remember back in 2017, I guess. So, you know, when the media and everything really starts getting on this whole conspiracy theorist kick. And I just started talking about like, just how incredibly fucked up my upbringing was and how incredibly fucked up the town I I grew up in. And um, just like all this, like just crazy stuff, like that was like open conspiracies, you know, for instance, 
you know, a pedophile who, who um, had a harem of boys, some of which um, he had um, custody of, you know, they were foster children. And he, he also had just an unexplained money flow. But everybody knew this it was all out in the open. He, he had been operating since the late 50s. He wasn't arrested until the early 80s. You know, I just thought to realize, like, from a very early age, I just, I realized that, like, the, thing, the stories that were told about the way the world is were lies, you know, were false. And what I had done that summer is I, I started going back, like, these certain events in my life, I started looking, like, at the newspaper clippings of, you know, things that happened around me or, you know, to people in my, sort of my family circle, you know, I, things that I was told a certain story when I was younger and then I went back and I read the news clippings about it mm. and I realized, oh shit, like there's the army intelligence looming over my head. And I was yes. like, wait, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? like, <laughs> I was, so, you know, like there's, there I was, was in this, a program. Oh my God. No, well, not, not, not like that, but it was just like, I just realized that like, you know, things that like bad things that happened to me in my life, you know, not to me personally, but to people close to me, you know, that like, there's, there's, you know, there's the army intelligence school because, you know, one of the cases in particular happened right near Fort Devens, which is at the time known as the US Army Intelligence School. And like this, this really huge defining trauma in my life was involved with Fort Devens in the US Army Intelligence School. And I had no clue. I had no clue. Like all these years, I had, I mean, I remember like, you know, hearing the stories about, oh, this is what happened. I, and even when I was a kid, I, I knew they were bullshit. But I didn't know until four years ago, you know, that the f army intelligence was involved in it. I'm just like, what? Mm -hmm. are you kidding me? Is this a joke? <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I'm going to have to be like, again, like a little cagey, but there was a more, another major news story that involved some of these same people it became a huge news story. And if I told you like, this person's name and, and what this was involved with, you'd know exactly what I was talking about. But that sort of, you know, had this whole presence, you know, hovering around it. And it's something that I've talked to Gordon a lot about. And, and you know, Gordon just basically came to the conclusion. It's just like, well, that's your country. You know, mm -hmm. it's like you're, you live in a garrison state. You live in, you live in a country that's run by military intelligence, yes. which is oh, true. Yeah. You know oh, what I mean? Totally that's something, something that I came to realize that, you know, it's like everything that's going on that people think of this or this or this, it's, it's all, you know, military intelligence complex. That's, you know, my, my definition of the MIC. So, you know, it wasn't like I was being picked on. It's just that, you know, the area that I was living in, it was particularly concentrated, you know, and, and people in my family were sort of in and out of this, this orbit. So it's just like I was around it. And, and, and it affects your life, you know what I mean? And it's, it's almost like, you know, when like you get stung by a yellow jacket, like all the other yellow jackets are gonna come after you. It's, it's almost like that kind of thing. It's like, once you get that friggin' stink on you, it, it never like, you know, you never sort of can escape that attention. So, but like Gordon said, I mean, you know, I, I thought that was a brilliant insight on his part. That's just like, that's your country. That's, that's, you know, that's what it's all about, you know? 
and he I, should know because he's from Australia. And that's also <laughs> run by American oh, military. Yeah. I was just going to say that he should know. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, you you just kind of you come to accept it. You know, um, you know, I don't get paranoid about it. It's just like I was just like in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, basically. And um, I've always wondered about that idea of the wrong place at the wrong time. I mean, how does that fit into your synchromystic experience? Well, synchromystically speaking, would be the right place at the right time, right? Yes, <laughs> you know, it's exactly. It's like the inevitable flow. It's the inevitable flow. So, Gordon, I mean, Gordon know, said it's the same as Rome. Yeah, well, it's true. Yeah, it's true. It I is agree. true. Like so, when when Trump was um, was first elected, and he had all these generals, you know, like running the White House that eventually all just sort of fell out with him. But like, it felt like very Roman to me. You know, it's like, oh, this is the Praetorian Guard. And then I thought, well, that's just Trump and then his circle. But then like during the, the election 2020, oh, no, wait, it's even more <laughs> around Biden and the Democrats. You know, it's just like, they just changed their sweaters. You know what I mean? Like they were wearing yeah. like, um, you know, they were in the Patriots jerseys and they just changed them to the Jets jerseys. You know what right. I mean? That, that, that's, that's what it all is. You know, it's like, oh, well, you know, the, the, all the uh, conservative um, rhetoric isn't really playing with the rubes anymore. So let's start talking about, you know, diversity and such and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And actually, you know, um, Webster Tarvely had a great quote that I love. He, he said, you know, the great lesson for the oligarchs in the Obama administration is that you could get away with bigger and badder crimes under uh, left or progressive cover than you could under right or neocon cover. And I just thought that was like such insightful because it's exactly what happened. It's just like, they realized that if they just, you know, every June they put a rainbow on their logo that they can get away with murder the rest of the year. You know, and, and that's that's true. Or they put like a BLM fist on their, you know, Raytheon puts a BLM fist on their, you know, uh, bunker buster that, you know. Another corporate entity. It's yeah. all intertwined. And that's a yeah. Maoist fist too. It's not BLM. They took it from Mao. Well, you know, but, but the whole point is that they realize that particularly at this point in time that people have become so stupid and brainwashed yeah. that if you just feed them the right buzzwords, you can do anything you want. You know, and I, yeah, I think, go ahead. Don't, Chris, don't you think, this is actually one of the things I wanted to ask you earlier. Don't you think, so when you say people have become so stupid and brainwashed, when I look at it, I see, and I'm, a, I'm close to your age, so I have a good depth of perception as far as decades go. And I have always wondered, I look at flicker rates, I look at propaganda mills going before I mean, we could go back to the French Revolution when they were putting up all the different flyers from the different parties and, you know, things that became very famous that essentially weren't rooted in true historical context, like let them eat cake, stuff like that. So here we have a digital age that came in. We have flicker rates. We have millimeter waves. We have all this entrainment going on from the moment we're little, if we are connected into the outer world of of cinema of pop culture and it looks to me like it has been a plan it looks to me like it's been social engineering as they say and so oh, of course, that's, yeah. and that's what i'm saying so everyone's got a low attention rate because that's 
what the design was? Well, I think a lot of it's fear too. I think a lot of people act contrary to the way that they know is, is moral and right because they're afraid. And I think with good reason, you know, I mean, the, the, the security state has become very effective at. Um, yes. But they're afraid of the wrong things. Punishing dissidents. Um, yes, they are. But I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, a lot of it too. I mean, you know, I, I have to say that I think a lot of it is very venal and petty. It's like, yeah. well, if I go against, yeah. you know, this insane policy, I'm going to lose my tenure at university, right. you know, yes. my cushy job where I only have to work six months out of the year. And then I can spend the rest of the year working on my books and I, I make $400,000 a year or whatever. And then I can go out and get $10,000 speaking fees and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I don't want to get off the gravy train. So I'm going to just go along with whatever bullshit they're telling me to spin yeah. because yep. I know that if I stop, you know, that that's the repercussions, you know, and I see this so much on Twitter, but you know, I mean, one thing that I really have to say, and I mean, you, maybe you guys are going to, you know, I'm just going to lose you right here. I mean, but, but I think that, you know, <laughs> we're, we are dealing with, with spiritual forces. I think we're dealing with demonic forces yep. and, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying, you know, when I use that word, people get, you know, a little, hung up. I mean, I don't use demonic in the term like, you know, Asmodeus and, you know, medieval. <laughs> we, we understand what you're saying. Yeah. You know, dark I, I'm dark energy. Dark energies. Exactly. Dark energies that are, you know, as much a force of nature, you know, as anything else. Yeah. Um, no, we're all about the demons. Bring it on. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it's almost like energies. mosquitoes, you know, <laughs> so, like that's always so, yeah, like our deer ticks or something. It's, it's just like the, the deer ticks of the spiritual world. But I, I just see like, I mean, I really see it like, the, the combination of like the poor nutrition, the bad medicines, yes. um, the addiction to things like video games and so on, yes. you know, it's just this cumulative process that you just, you see almost a classical profile of de demonic possession. Mm -hmm. And again, it's like, I'm not talking about Christian demons. Yeah, we know what you're talking about. And everyone well, see, here's the problem. So here's the problem. So like, I, I, I'm just like anybody else. Like when people would talk about demons, I would just be like, are you fucking kidding me? You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Like a, some idiot in some backwards church just acting hysterical for attention. You know what I mean? Like quote unquote exorcism. Right. You know, just like this, all this just complete and utter nonsense. And I think the combination of like bad fake Christianity and then like Hollywood just created this whole image that is just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Just like it's a people who are going to naturally have an aversion to that if they're allowing themselves to be programmed by the media, because you know what you're presented with is ridiculous. You know, like Bob Larson or something, just this utter nonsense. Mm -hmm. These hucksters and grifters, right? Oh but yeah. When you, if you start to look at, 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 at like spiritual energies as forces, you know, forces of nature, mm -hmm. con, you know, like almost like confluences of energies, you know, and you, you realize how. It, it is almost like this disease that when the when the immune system is lowered, you know, it's it's like being infected with a bacteria. To yes. me, it's like the exact same thing. It's like again, like you know, if if your immune system, if your spiritual or moral or just psychic immune system is weakened, you become susceptible to these things. And again, it is a fortune, a force of nature. It is an energetic phenomenon, and yes. You know, that's just the way it is. But, you know, it's like, I wish there was another word for it. You know what I mean? I really do. It's like malevolent energy, malevolent energies. I mean, I don't, I don't know what terminology to use because it's like, you know, demon, well, first of all, demon, I mean, 
you know, listen, I, I write, like I said, I was a big Romophile. So mm-hmm. you understand like demons, daemons, the, the, the yes. spiritual yeah. energies, you know, they're good, bad, or indifferent, you know what I mean? And, you know, there seems to be, you know, part of like the air, you know what I mean? Like this, the spiritual world, you know, spirit obviously comes from breathing, right? So like, it's, it's a very effective word and it's very to the point. But again, it's like the same problem that you have is this people just have like, they just picture like the exorcist. It's which got I, a lot of baggage. Yeah, I mean, I think the exorcist is a great work of cinema. You know what oh, I mean? Oh yeah, yeah. But I think it's a very disgusting and ugly film, you know, particularly in light of what we know about like the way some of these Catholic priests have behaved, you know what yeah. I mean? It's like, would anybody accept like a movie today of like two Catholic priests al- or, or alone in the, a room with this, sexually precocious 13 year old girl i mean you know what I mean? that would seem a little dodgy right you couldn't yeah. really get away with making that movie today probably not. but um you know I, I think there's something like very ugly about that movie um but i think that sort of just adds to the friction you know so i mean i yes. think what you know william friedkinden was was brilliant but william peter blatty i don't know if you guys knew this but um he was actually um a military intelligence yep intelligence uh information warfare expert in the 1960s so there you go take that for what it's worth yeah Yeah. you know but but so so all this like hollywood bullshit just really sort of colored this discussion which you know i find really unfortunate so like maybe we do need to sort of establish a different vocabulary to, to deal with these topics but you know again i mean it's just like you just see it you know you just see people who just okay, you can say they're psychotic or they're schizophrenic or, or whatever. But here's the thing. If you really talk to um, psychiatrists or psychologists, they don't understand how any of this shit works. I mean, at the, they don't even understand how consciousness arises. Like, they literally don't. They don't understand how it works. They don't understand right. how it's self-conscious. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's all speculation. Yeah, but, theoretics. You know, if you talk to like a good psych- psychiatrist or psychologist, they'll tell you, it's like, we don't know how the mind works. They just treat symptoms. You know what I mean? So somebody will come in who's schizophrenic, right? They don't treat the schizophrenia. They can't, they can't make the schizophrenia go away. They just manage the symptoms. You know, somebody can have a halfway productive life because the symptoms that they have are kind of kept, kept in check. But the other problem is too, is that, you know, these drugs have, I mean, I was actually on one of these drugs. I was on Zyprexa, right? It was given to me as a sleep drug. And it's just like, this is how crazy this doctor was. He's giving me an antipsychotic as, as a sleeping aid. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, oh, oh it, it, and it's, oh, forget about it. It was horrible, a horrible drug. But, you know, once, you know, I put on all the weight, put on a ton of weight when I was all these drugs. And I've, I've seen people who are either schizophrenic and or psychotic and they get on drugs like Cyprexa, which is actually sort of, it's in, it's almost like in the benzodiazepine family, but they get on these drugs and they start to put on a lot of weight and a lot of them just become zombified. So yeah. what happens yes. is that the doctors are actually treating the symptoms. They're not treating the core, the core of the issue. You know, and like one of my favorite books is Altered States by Patty Chayefsky. Oh yeah. And yeah. he did a ton of research into schizophrenia when he was writing that book. And, you know, there's a great line in the book, you know, with the, the William Hurt character in the book says, you know, he's asked about schizophrenia. He goes, I'm not even sure it's a disease. You know what I mean? Because you start to realize that it's, it's some sort of change in basic consciousness. 
you know what I mean? So, you know, schizophrenics can perceive a lot of the things that you see in like synchromysticism and so mm -hmm. on, but they just, they can't, they can't organize them. Their, fil their filters are gone. Yeah, the filters are gone. But, you know, you know, one of the things I always say is that, you know, like, for instance, the Dadaists and the Surrealists, mm -hmm. you know, they, they saw um, schizophrenia as like, almost like as a holy state, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, you know, it's yeah. like a blessed state because schizophrenics seem to have like access to other yes. realms of existence and so on, maybe even other dimensions, I don't know. But you realize that um, these medicines, like I said, all they do is usually just treat the symptoms and, and usually just temporarily, you know? Um, yeah. The, the disease has a powerful tendency to learn how to outsmart them, you know? Well, the body does. What, Chris, I'm curious about your perspective on Carl Gustav Jung. He really did a lot of work in the world dealing with psychosis and a way to process psychosis. I mean, it's really, it's the foundation of his work. To process psychosis without medicine, to do it in an and almost, I mean, he used alchemy. Psychology and Alchemy is an amazing book. He used these uh, processes that were uh, the alchemical process, but through the psychological template over it and then did the whole union thing. So I'm, I'm not gonna get into all that. And I'm wondering where you stand on that kind of information because there's a lot of credible work and analysis out in the world and there has been for a, a century now well yeah uh, i mean Jung had through that well Jung had a, i mean it just unimaginable influence on me in my early days i mean like really the thing that kicked me off with synchromysticism was man and his symbols the yes book, you know it's essays yeah yeah so um but Jung also taught me like how to organize things how to take phenomena that's seen as woo and and how to categorize it you know how to organize it into tiers almost and you know particularly the work with archetypes just had a, an enormous influence on me and i, I think you, yeah. you see that to this day that i'm always sort of thinking in a jungian way it's like well how do we organize this you know what i mean so we have all this phenomena what does it mean well we can figure out what it means if we can organize it, you know, yes. in, in a way that makes sense, you know, particularly makes sense to, uh, to people outside, you know? So it's one of the things that I was really thinking about for a long time is like, how do I explain this to, to the layman? You know what I mean? Because if you hit people with this stuff, they're just going to shut off. Yeah. And with good reason too, because, you know, they have a lot of experience again with like, you know, maybe a lot of people who are schizophrenic who sort of will hit them with a lot of the same stuff, but they can't organize it. They can't make sense of it. Well, so therein lies the art. How do you explain it? That's yeah, the art. <laughs> but here's the thing. I mean, Jung, Jung had a real, he had a real shadow side too. Um, Jung, oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, he, 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 a lot of his work was, was questionable. Um, you know, he's a guy who got high on his own supply, so to speak. Um, you know, and one of the things that I've, I've been talking about a lot lately, you know, is I think the shadow side of Jung was expressed through Alan Dulles and through, you know, Artichoke and Hilltop and Naomi and MKUltra. I mean, mm -hmm. all these sort of programs 
that I've really come to see quite clearly as having no scientific basis at all, but as just being sorcery. I mean, I, I'm not. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is, you know, I just, I, these programs, you know, particularly when you look into like, you know, the work that Gottlieb was doing or that you, you and Cameron was doing, you know, people who have looked at their papers and stuff, this is like, this is absolute nonsense. This, this, these guys had no, they weren't even trying to pretend to uh, honor the, the scientific method. This is just pure sorcery. And, you know, and that's when I realized, I came to realize that a lot of these experiments that they were running, you know, particularly up in uh, McGill, up in, in Montreal, were, were, weren't all that different from initiatory practices, rites of passage, yep. yeah, and, and particularly the Mithraic, you know, yep. the whole idea of initiation through ordeal, right? Yeah. So what I came to believe, and, and this is like sort of my narrative, this is my hypothesis, is that Jung and Alan Dulles spent a lot of time together in Switzerland during the war. Um, Dulles's mistress had some sort of psychosomatic condition, I guess it was hiccups or yes. something, and Jung was treating her. But Dulles and Jung would like speak every day, like they would have lunch every day, you know, they'd have these, these big conversations. And this is when Jung was really mad into the whole Mithraic thing, right? And, and if you read like, you know, stories of his nicey journey and he became uh, Leo Centophilus and all this kind of stuff, you know, it's like all these guys, you know, he, he got pretty out there. Like I said, he got high on his own supply. But I think what I really believe happened, and this is becoming sort of a focal point of my work, is I think that Dulles said, wow, this would make a great weapon. You know, sorcery as a weapon, who would have even oh, yeah. thought, you know what I mean? Like, this is like, this is cutting, this is truly cutting edge science, no science. You know what I mean? It's like mm -hmm. the abandonment of science for sorcery. So I think what happened is that Jung was, you know, feeding Dulles all this kind of stuff during the war. And Dulles at the same time was, going over to Sandoz and checking out their wares, right? <laughs> and he brought it home. And then all these stories, you know, that were really just propaganda stories about brainwashing came out. Um, and he said, well, I know what we'll do. You know, we're going to start our own brainwashing. But I think what the, the plan was all along was like the alchemical, maybe even like a reverse alchemical transformation of society through sorcery. Yeah. And, you know, one of my pet theories right now is that, so nobody really understands where MK came from, you know, like MK Ultra or MK Naomi or whatever. MK it was a CIA designation. Yeah, but nobody, nobody can figure out what it actually means. It doesn't mean anything, apparently. Well, I'll tell you my theory. You want to hear my theory? Yes, I, I do. Think, yeah. I think it means Mithras and Kybel. Mm. And I'll tell you why. First of all, one of the things I've done a lot on the blog is like showing you know, like, this is this Mithraic symbolism. Yeah. everywhere and it's the higher you go up in the the socioeconomic yes. ladder the more apt you're, you're going to see mithraic symbolism the only problem is that people don't understand what they don't know what they're looking at right uh, you know but i do <laughs> that's so, part I mean, of the I, magic I, though that's part well, of it yeah but it is part it's part of the sorcery so it's like when i went to um i remember going to fellow center so I, I started working for marvel i you know i was freelancing for marvel like in 95 or so and they were like up near the UN, I were like all the way across town. So I'd have to like do this massive trek. And a lot of times I would walk, you know, I'd walk back and I'd walk the Rockefeller Center. And this is when I was really starting to get into, you know, when I was reading Men and Assembles, I was reading a lot of Jung, I was reading a lot of stuff on 
uh, mythology and all this kind of stuff. And I was just like, what the hell is this place? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how do people not say this? You go, Prometheus. It's like, that's not Prometheus. It's Mithras being born from the rock and escaping, you know, the prison of time with the flame. Yes. It's just like, how, yes. could, how more obvious could it possibly be, right? So I just started seeing all this stuff. And, and it took me a long time, but I, I really come to see that, like, Mithras is, it's almost like he's like the god that you encounter when you really get into like the heavy psych, you know, like people talk about the machine elves and all this kind of stuff. I think like once you get past machine elves, you're gonna encounter Mithras. And if you read the Mithraic liturgy, it pretty much describes that word for word. And I, you know, ironically or scarily or whatever, I mean, it, it also reads like an alien abduction, like a classic alien abduction narrative, only they're um, abducted onto the bridge of the Starship Enterprise with like snake-headed people and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, so I, I think really what happened is that Dulles was just fascinated by the, this, the mystery cults and how like the mystery cults had a really strong hold and like the, you know, like I said, the, um, the Praetorian guards, you know, the military, military intelligence. I mean, like you could almost not even separate the two. So I think what happened is that like he did a lot of work, you know, like Jung sort of turned him on to it. He got the idea that this could be weaponized and then the rest is history. I really think that this idea that it was going to be used for brainwashing, whatever was just absolute nonsense from the start. It was just a way to get money for these programs. And, um, you know, if you just look at the way these programs are run and then you look at the effects of them, you look at the outcomes of them, it's just clearly, it's clearly sorcery. And, and I just came to realize, you know, this sort of dovetailed with my disillusionment with science or science fictional science, you know, like the, the science, like I said, that I was reading in Popular Mechanics and, and all these other magazines, Popular Science, you just realize the cult. It has, <laughs> it's, it's just has absolutely no basis in reality and people just accept it. Well, and, they, th they accept the theories. Well, but they see, the theories as facts. Yeah. Well, one of the things I say is that you know anything can exist on paper. You know, so like faster yes. than light travel can exist on paper. Mm -hmm. um, you know, all these kind of things. You know, all this wonderful magical science can exist on paper, but there's, you know, there's a roadblock, and the roadblock is the laws of physics. You know, the, the laws of physics, at the very least, are going to slow you down but more often are just going to shut you down. You know, I mean, all these plans, like all this DARPA nonsense and, and all the stuff that people just think is somehow being worked on an underground lab underneath the uh, Archelator Mesa or something, there's no basis in reality. It's, it's, it's all just fantasy. I mean, a lot of it was like Cold War propaganda, you know, right. scaring the over like we're growing like um, super-powered, chimp robots or something you know what i mean <laughs> you know what i mean just like this absolute foolishness but i think you know if you the soviets were doing the same thing you know so the soviets were really like big into like space travel i know you want to talk about space i mean i've become like just an absolute cynic about and skeptic <laughs> join about the club it. join the club like nobody's you know it's like oh we're going to mars <laughs> in 2025 okay wait a second right. <laughs> let's 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 work this out Okay, so let's let's accept that, just for the sake of argument, that you know the Apollo landings are based in reality, right? But so for the past fifty years, fifty years now, mm -hmm. nobody's gone past, nobody's gone higher than like low Earth orbit. 
you know? <laughs> and then we have these, I don't understand it works. You know, we're supposed to have all these satellites in the thermosphere, which is like, what, you know, 4,000 degrees is some insane thing, right? <laughs> right. So, but it's like, if you're gonna go to Mars, right? Wouldn't you have to like, you know, it's, it's like, you're not gonna go out into the Death Valley, right? Unless you know that the, like every 50 miles is a gas station, right? Where you can get water and gas and maybe something to eat. It's just like, if we were really gonna go to Mars, right. which is like, I don't know what, three month trip, whatever it's supposed to be. I mean, wouldn't you wanna be setting up space stations all <laughs> along the all way? The way yeah. all don't the bring way. your logic here, Chris. You know, it's like, you know, what it, you know what it's like? So Elon Musk saying we're gonna to go to Mars in 2025 is like, you know, a five pack a day smoker saying, I'm gonna run the Boston, I'm gonna run the Boston, Boston Marathon <laughs> next month. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I weigh 300 pounds and I have advanced emphysema, but I'm gonna do it. You know, oh it's like, it's gonna happen. And, and that's exactly what the space program is to me. It's just like, listen, if, if they were doing things past the space station, just let's just say. If that's even real. If that's even real. But if, if they were doing these things, then I'd be like, well, maybe, you know, if there was, you know, like you saw in like uh, 2001, right? So, you know, you have these like artificial gravity wells right, right. and, you know, things, and then you have like the Clavius space and so on and so forth. So if, if we had that stuff now, right? I'd be like, well, maybe we're gonna go to Mars, but nobody's gonna, who's gonna get into a ship and travel 3000 miles with absolutely no support in between you know like i said it is literally like going out to death valley without stopping at a gas station it's just absolutely insane and you'll you know? have to and be vaccinated to go yeah you have to be vaccinated <laughs> so but see here's the thing so this is like what i you know i say it's like so the progressive myth you know the myth that progress is inevitable and constant and just perpetual in order to sell that myth, you have you have to sell these stories about Mars missions and stuff. And you know, the Soviets did the exact same thing. I, I don't know if I have them here, but I, I had a few issues of Soviet life that my wife got me off of eBay. And like, you know, that was like their version of time or life, or whatever. And it, it's just full of like all this space nonsense, like domed cities on Mars, you know, they're coming next year and stuff. Don't or on the moon, let's say. Or or some, you know, we're gonna build a you know, like a habitat on Ceres or, you know, one of these asteroids, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, ca I call those things space carrots. They're the carrots at the end of the stick to keep the space programs going because I think they're It's just... bigger than that, though. It isn't just the space programs. There's right. all these people, there are all these people, like I said, who, are, who, who call themselves progressives and they believe in this myth of like perpetual Everything is constantly improving, that everything is working on this linear line. It's, it's exactly the same as the old Christian dispensationalism. Yep. But everything is just progressing towards this, this zero point where we'll reach nirvana, technological. Star like, Trek utopia. Well, yeah. So you see all these like leftists and communists and socialists and everything on Twitter. And it's like, well, this is, this is the future we want. Well, first of all, I say, if you really watch Star Trek with a critical eye, realize that it's about a military dictatorship yes. that yes. Yes. is fueling, you know, this imperialistic project, right? That that is where imperialism, where the empire, right, where colonialism mm -hmm. is spreading us, uh, spreading out across the galaxy, right? 
it's it's insane you know it's like well we're going to be in like you know the the hiatus star cluster and then we're going to be uh, in sirius in 45 minutes you know <laughs> just like the drive into like walmart you know right, like right, right, right. and ten thousand light years at warp speed like warp speed is just like the most ridiculous friggin' thing so um but you need to sell this stuff you need to you need to have it is like that carrot though it's like you need to keep people stringing along yep. you know because if they start to question this if they then they start to question the entire project they start to uh, question the entire project of progressive capitalism right they start to question its underpinnings and that cannot happen you have to make them believe that you know in the future star trek is going to happen and all of our problems are going to be done away with technology and space travel is going to solve all our social issues and war and hunger and greed and all the rest of it and we won't even have money because you know the, the great mothership enterprise provides for all right. you have to you have to keep people since these myths because if they start to question that what are they going to question next and this is guy um another guy on twitter but i guess he was a guy called movie bob guy up in boston mm -hmm. movie critic and he, he got fired i forget where he was working but he got fired for like some tweet that he, you know this whole cancellation thing oh, but boy. he I, he had said like I, I don't know if it was after i think it was after the 2016 election like you know, these, these damn rednecks, you know, if it wasn't for these voters, you know, I would have a robot body and I would be eternal and I'd be flying off to another space cluster. And, and it's like all this science fictional nonsense, because this is just a, you know, a chubby nerd who spent his entire life sitting in a, in a theater seat, right? <laughs> and believing all the nonsense that he was fed by Hollywood. But, you know, it inspires people to hate other people because they're standing in the way of my robot body. Nobody's ever going to have a robot body. Nobody's ever uploaded into a computer. <laughs> you know, it's like things like the singularity and transhumanism yeah, and, you know, like actual scientists who actually work in these fields are embarrassed by this stuff. They really are. And it's like, if you dig beneath the surface, you know, people who have no real understanding of science think that, oh, they're all into transhumanism. They're all into the singularity. No, they're not. They think this is a joke, but they're all like, they're all afraid of getting on, uh, what's that guy's name? Kurzweil's bad Kurzweil, side, yeah. you know, because yep, yep, he's, yep, he's, he's so, he's so influential. Yes, but it's it's just all it's just all lies, you know. It's just all nonsense. And once you like, this is another thing that when you wake up from it, I mean, I think a lot of people realize that. I mean, I don't think people are that stupid that they think that we're going to Mars in 2025. I think there's just some sort of cognitive dissonance that takes over, you know, that they just accept this stuff because they they need to think that there's some there's something some pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You know, and it's just like we don't need to go to any other planets, right? You know, first of all, I don't do think you see, do you see, Chris, that if we look, take step back and look at Jung's model again, and look at the idea of collective projection and the the hero's journey, just for to simplify it, that seems to me what has been played. That card's been played all along with the whole space thing. Oh yeah, oh yeah, like the right stuff, right? Yes, the right yes. stuff. Yeah. Yes. So oh, it's like we got to give people, they've got to give them something to shoot for, project onto. Meanwhile, while that's all happening, there's all this other more nefarious stuff that's not, 
you know, there's, there's this mechanics behind the curtain happening and everyone's projecting on going to Mars in 2025. Well, here's the they've thing. got to escape, right? We got to move. We got to leave. There are two big problems with just being a human being, particularly being a human being in a civilization where you, you don't have to like hunt for food or find shelter every day, right? You know, that your basic material needs are taken care of. It's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Um, there are two problems. First of all, boredom. I think boredom is, you know, I've actually been working on an essay about boredom and, and what a corrosive power boredom has and how destructive it is and, and how so many things are just sort of undone. And I actually read like, I don't know if it was C.S. Lewis, that maybe Tolkien or something. No, it was Tolkien, right? And he talked about how like, you know, the, the problem with the good and creating a good society is that people become bored with it. It's just basic human nature, right? But on the flip side of that boredom, which I think is a very dangerous thing, right? Is um, people need something to look forward to. Yes, you know? it's a big deal. Very I, yeah, big deal. You, you need some, you know, you need goals, you know, you need to be shooting something. And I think the, the great genius of the, of the quote unquote program was just creating this artificial world, like, you know, like I said, like Star Trek. But, it, you know, getting back to what Gordon said about like, the, you know, the, the national security state. So it's like, I had done some work into um, the creation of Star Trek, right? And you realize that like Gene Roddenberry, like this, drugged out, drunk, sex maniac grifter, you know. Did he, he didn't, channel a lot of those stories too? No, 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 no. He was too busy chasing like his secretaries around okay, the desk. Okay. Um, no, I really, I mean, I haven't really dotted the I's and crossed the T's yet, but I, I believe that it was a military, a naval intelligence program, that it was naval intelligence all along. Because really, the real, what I think the real creator of Star Trek is, was uh, Leslie Stevens, who also created the, the Outer Limits, and whose father was like, yes. the, you know, the, the highest of all high-ranking admirals of all time, and invented all the stuff, and was in, basically running the, the Cold War program and everything like that. So, I mean, I think that Star Trek was, was a military, specifically naval intelligence program. And I think, you know, it was very effective... It was very effective during like the 60s, you know, like the upheavals of the late 60s, you know, particularly more so in the 70s, you know, because it became more popular in, in reruns and so on. And I, I think that it, it served a purpose because it gave people something to look forward to. You know, what they called the Roddenberry future, you know, which yes. again, it's not really Roddenberry. I mean, it's, it's all these other writers and producers who actually created all the stuff that we know we would recognize the Star Trek. If you read like his original pitch, it's it's the dumbest thing you've ever read in your life. But, um, you know, but the genius of it was to give people something to look forward to. People need to feel like there's a reason up in the morning, you know, because, oh, yeah. oh, oh yeah. you know, I'm going to be doing this, you know. But the thing that I came to realize, you know, the thing that I came to realize after this hideous 10-year at least sort of ordeal that I was thrust into is that everything's right here. It's all here. We don't need to go anywhere else. This planet is fucking huge. You know, human beings cover about 5% of the Earth's land mass, which is only 9% of the surface because 71% of it is water. So it's like there is all the space 
you could possibly want to explore right here on earth, like right here in our biosphere, right here in like, you know, home, right? We don't need Chris. to, we don't need to leave home. We don't need to go to friggin' Mars because we don't even know what's at the bottom of the goddamn ocean. There could be like exactly. alien cities that are, are 10 times the size of Manhattan spreading Sorry. across the uh, Pacific basin. And we have no idea because nobody's ever been down there. It's probably you know where I mean? all those new UFOs are coming from. It could be. I mean, listen, a lot of people think so. I do. Well, but, but isn't it important that with the light that you're talking about, with the give the peop, the projection factor of pre, and projection works on all levels. It can be a bad thing with shadow projection, or it can be an egoic projection, which is moving going to Mars. But with the light at the end at the end of the tunnel kind of scenario, which we've all just witnessed lifetime with this whole lockdown thing where they take everything away, the whole Hegelian thing, they take everything away. Who took that away from us? Who took that away? And that, you know, when we start questioning that, but then they start giving you back pieces with the promise that you'll get back what you had lost, what had been taken away. And so with this whole idea on My, a bigger minus level. Minus the big. But with the idea is the you have to give people that but this is a way to train this is how you break a horse this is how you train domesticate mm -hmm. stock and th this is happening this has been happening a very long time to humans and but it's also a form of trauma-based mind control it's exactly trauma-based it is exactly that i would just try not to say that sorry um but it, it's the same thing. And that's what I'm saying. If you don't, so you, you want to get control, you've, you've lost control and you want to get control. You've got to have these kinds of really worked out plans. And we, like I said, we just witnessed this. We're in the middle of it right now. So we, the light at the end of the tunnel, the, the calm, beautiful day after a storm, what did we lose? Where are we going? What's the real story here? And this is where we start having these types of conversations when we're questioning these realities. So it's more than that, is what I'm saying. There's an, I think, there is obviously some sort of agenda. Why would big people who are allegedly in charge of us come together and create scenarios? It's all ritual theater, the way I see it. Yeah, it is ritual theater. It is. It absolutely is. But, I mean, Personally, for me, like, I, I, nothing changed for me, you know? Like, I've been, like, socially distancing for yeah. 25 years, you know? Yeah, well, <laughs> a lot of us, here. but you see I don't, what I don't happens like to, you know, the masses. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, it is, yeah, but it's, I, I, know, I do know what you're saying. But the thing is, people allowed it to happen. Yes. You oh know? yeah, and people yeah. stood by and, and and let it happen because I I think the whole situation was very poorly run, and I think that's why they you know gave old Billy Boy the uh, you know <laughs> um, uh, I I think that it was just it's very inept and but see the thing is is that the world that there's a problem with the world that they want to create and you know it's like listen I mean my political philosophy just basically boils down to it's like I want everybody to be happy and I want everything to work out okay you know I mean that's that's yeah. like my that's my basic political philosophy I've said it before I'll say it again if I thought that this this technological or technocratic dream world that they're trying to create was going to work 
you know, I might not be happy about it. You know, I might not support it or be enthusiastic about it, but I'd be like, hey, you know, whatever. I think the problem, there's, there's a couple problems here, is that the world that they're creating and the world that they've created for the past 25 years has led to um, a, a major problem, and that's the loss of expertise. Yeah. You yes. know what I mean? And, and I, remember, I remember going to see Timothy Leary at the Learning Annex of all places in New York back mm. in 92 or 93. And he was talking about, you know, uh, the internet and virtual reality and all this nonsense. And I, I, I remember telling him, I, I said, you know, I raised my hand and be like, you know, what's gonna happen if like somebody knows how to use a hammer in cyberspace, but they don't know how to use a hammer in the real world. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I, I kept sort of asking those Details. kind of questions. Like, you know, <laughs> you don't realize that like the real world has to be attended to. You have to, you have to have real world skills. You know, one of the great examples is that they, they recently had that colonial pipeline shut down with yes. the hacking and so on. And, you know, one of the guys who worked for the company got up and it's like, well, how did this happen? You know, did you have safeguards and everything like that? And, you know, he told Congress, he said, you know, all the people who knew how to manually operate an oil pipeline are either dead or have retired. Like these young kids have all grown up with this, this computer programs. They don't know how to do anything. You know, they don't know how to bypass, you know, some sort of shutdown or what, I don't even know what the terminology would be. They don't know how to do it. I mean, look at this whole thing, like millennials who don't know how to like iron a shirt or like <laughs> sew a button back on or drive a stick shift, <laughs> right? I mean, it's, it's true. It's really true. And I used to have a friend who wrote uh, switching software on telephone lines, telephone, like high speed switching stuff. And one of the impetuses behind getting rid of those landlines, all those, you know, POTS lines was because the people who wrote all the software were dead. Plus it was 30 years old and nobody knew how to maintain it much anymore. So it was easier just to replace all that with digital stuff. And get rid of the analog. Nobody knew how it worked anymore. Well, we're we're on the listen. This is one of the reasons, like I said, that we're we're in for a bad next maybe 10, 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Because I think expertise has peaked. I think technology has peaked. And I think, you know, if you've seen the movie, uh, I'm sorry, the movie Idiocracy. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I think that, you know, I mean, that's obviously, you know, a con and yeah you know, a farce and exaggerated, but I think, you know, we're getting to a point now, like I said, when people don't know how to operate an oil pipeline without which the economy cannot operate, without which basic human life can't operate anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, if people don't know how to operate that manually without the, the power on, we're screwed. But you can just, this, just, up and down the line, you know, I mean, that's, that's just an extreme, not even an extreme example. That's just an example, a notable example, or at least an example I remember of this kind of thing. But I, I see this all the time. And like I said, it's like, you know, before the show started, I was talking about like these updates to these, these Macintosh programs. It's just like the software just gets slower and slower yes. and buggier and buggier. And, you know, one of the problems is like, you know, the, the big techs are all monopolies now, essentially, mm -hmm. or de facto monopolies. Yes. So they don't, they don't have any incentive. Any reason to make it good, yeah. Yeah, they don't have any incentive to fix this stuff. You know, they don't care. You know what I mean? They, they have all, I mean, 
we're looking at companies with trillion dollar valuation now. They just, they don't care anymore. And it just becomes this cascading effect, you know, with like one node switches off or blinks out and, you know, there's redundancy built into the system where you can lose a bunch of those nodes. Mm -hmm. But after a while, you get into what's called, you know, a cascading failure where it's just like, yes, the, the, the failure becomes its own momentum. Yeah, the redundant nodes can't handle the load. And, you know, I mean, we've got a lot of kids who just, and they don't know anything anymore. You know, they, they, they play video games or they're just taught all this nonsense in schools. I mean, I'm really concerned about like just practical knowledge. You know, it's like, I want people to like start learning trades again. You know, because we're gonna, they're gonna have to. You know, yeah, I want people to, whole, to know how to like do things with their hands again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The whole trade aspect of everything, the trade market where you learn a trade, and the apprenticeship programs. This all needs to come back in ASAP because oh, we yeah. are in some big trouble ahead, just logistic wise, as far as how we live our daily lives. Can you imagine what would happen if the internet went down for six months? It, well. At least it would be chaos. It would be complete in the chaos. Western world for yeah, sure. It absolutely. would be absolute chaos. And, well, like and you now, said, we don't have the phone system. Okay, so right, 20 exactly. years ago, if, if the internet went down, we still had the, the landlines. Yes, we don't but even have anymore. the landlines anymore. We don't have television anymore because it's all digital. If the <laughs> right. internet goes down, that's the end of everything. Yep, but um, yeah, looking forward to it. We, I think we've like we outsmarted ourselves in a lot of ways, but it's this kind of short term thinking because you know, one thing that I've always about like you know again like software upgrades it's it's not driven by engineers it's not dri driven by people computer scientists it's driven by the sales department yes you know the sales department like software is okay well i'm talking like commercial software. okay okay absolutely you're absolutely right yeah so um, commercial software is driven by sales right mm -hmm. and this is something that i've noticed because you know one thing i've said is like i work i've done a lot of work or and i do a lot of work in adobe illustrator that, that program has like had, you know, a few extra whistles, but I've been working on that program for over 30 years now. And it's not fundamentally different than it was 30 years ago. You know, it's like the work. Except that I was, for now you have to have it on the cloud and you can't have the program on your computer. Well, that's the other thing. Now, it, now it takes, you know, because of this whole cloud issue, right? Yeah. Big, it, big the, issue. the program takes like 15 minutes to open and half the time won't open. I'll have to, quit and we, you know, start it over again. I mean, it's, but Adobe doesn't care. Doesn't and you don't care own it. Me. In and the I don't past, own it. Yeah. you owned it and mm -hmm. you had it on your computer. Now you have to upgrade. You don't own your content. It's a subscription. It's, it's yeah. bad. It's terrible. You'll own nothing and be happy. Yeah. Well, and there we have it. <laughs> you'll own, you'll own nothing. See, but here's the thing, but like, so I talk about like boredom is a, is a serious issue mm -hmm. and having something to look forward to is is an issue but i think another issue that i think the technocrats haven't really taken into account is that people have to feel like they have a stake you know what i mean yeah for people to do good work or even acceptable work they have to feel like they have a stake in it like that isn't just like they're not just serfs you know they have to feel like they're part of something like that they own something they have something to call their own and i think this just insane hegelian mindset that's taken over among big tech and so on they just they don't take this stuff into account and and this is, you know one of the problems is 
and I hope people will forgive me for this, but it's like when I was a kid, when you were a kid, when you were born, right? One in 10,000 kids were born with autism. Yeah. Now it's one in 88. Yep. (laughs) Okay. So like, yeah. Yeah. So like kids who are autistic can sometimes, you know, if they're not too far deep into the spectrum, if they're more on the Asperger's end of the scale, you know, they can be good. Thank you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So they can be good software engineers and, and, and so on. But, um, a lot of you know the people on the spectrum that, that like they don't have basic social skills, they don't have basic empathy skills, um, they can't maintain relationships. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of problems with just like with humaning. You know, with just basic humaning. You know, and again, this whole driven uh, software. Yeah, the, the sales driven software and this whole like quarterly mentality, you know, mm-hmm. keeping the numbers up for the quarter, quarterly reports and so on. Um, it's just, it's created this cycle of doom, I yeah. think. You know? I, like that. I, I think it has. I mean, if you're in, if you're in software, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. I am. <clears throat> uh, luckily for me, my company is focused on customer for the most part. Customers will look at our software and go, you know, it'd be better if if you're if the 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 workflow is this way. You know, we don't get much from sales unless it comes from a customer. But well, we're not. That's great. We're not building, you know, Palantir accounting software, which is something that would be sales driven or uh, SAS or Oracle. You know, those kind of things are done. Yeah, I know exactly. Yeah, my my uncle works for Oracle. Oh, cool. Yeah, he's got like 12 patents to his name, too. But it's all cloud stuff. Oh, you reminded me something I wanted to bring up before. I couldn't, I didn't get a chance to. You were talking about the MK programs being sorcery and and that whole that whole conversation part. Um, have you ever looked at the patents of, I brought this up last week or two weeks ago, too. Uh, the patents of, I think it's John St. Clair. Not the White Panther guy, is it? Got all these weird patents for like a teleporter and a light speed engine and crap like that, but they all have like Solomonic ritual elements to them. It's really wild. Well, see, but that's the, you know, it's one of the problems with, with patent science is that, you know, just because something's a, a patent doesn't mean it's inoperable. I completely system. understand that. But, I, but what you're saying, what you're saying speaks a lot, you know, that. One of the realizations that I've come to recently is that, you know, like science does not run the world, sorcery runs the world. And a lot of what we think is science or technology is actually like sorcery with window dressing. Oh yeah. And again, I mean, this is something that gets me into trouble with some people, but that's, listen, I've given this a lot of thought. (laughs) The thing is, it's not new, Chris. It's gone back as far back as people first discovered um, how to manipulate the raw elements well, you know, but you bring up a good point because look at the, like a lot of the work that was done in stone. Yes. Right. For, for thousands of years. Yes. You know, like some of this amazing stonework that was done, you know, like these giant underground temples in India or whatever. Um, Palmyra. Oh, exactly. Well, that's a great example too. But all these kind of things, it's like, you know, the, the, the engineer, 
and the science is going to get you to a certain point but like you get to a point where like there's all these like bizarre sort of harmonic reverberations in these things that you, know, you can't really yeah. account for that you can't really <laughs> devise a science around you know like at some point that kind of craftsmanship and that kind of engineering like it, it almost like it takes off and it you know it enters high orbit because we're in a world you know where nature calls the shots and nature is is an essentially magical place right Yes. And and sorcery and, and magic and all these kind of things are um, very much about, you know, harmonizing or trying to harmonize yourself with that power. You know, I think the good stuff is the stuff where you try to harmonize yourself with the, the powers of nature and the energies and forces of nature. And the bad stuff is where you try to um, solicit the, uh, <laughs> the services of unclean energies and unclean spirits and so on. So... But there you go. But 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 the, the point is taken is that like we we look back and look at all these things and like oh that's got to be aliens or something. It's like no, it wasn't aliens. It's like they just knew what they were doing and they were doing it for a long time, you know. And the knowledge was passed down father to son, and it's at a certain point, you know, you just break through and you reach a, a totally different level. Yeah, and that, that's where I was going with my the sorcery and the MK programs is that sorcery magic whatever you want to call it is an ancient technology of some sort mm -hmm. that was lost i don't i don't want to blame the christians for it or you know the church but at some point humans knew that stuff innately and it was it's a lost art and i think some of the if, if you're right about the sorcery and that it, that is kind of how i i think about it too they're rediscovering it well, you know, you have to sort of free yourself from like enlightenment brainwashing and enlightenment propaganda because the, the, there's, a, there's a kind of mythology that's arisen, you know, particularly of like the church. A lot of like the anti-science stuff sort of came with like the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation, yeah. you know, particularly like Calvinism. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, this whole myth that like, um, you know, bishops were just running around looking for scientists to burn. It's just... It's, oh, no, no, I know it wasn't. It's, it's absolutely not. And, and believe me, they were practicing a lot, like. There's a lot I, I think, of crossover. Yeah, there was a, a lot of these arts and sciences were being practiced in secret in monasteries and so mm -hmm. on. I think the thing, it wasn't Christianity per se, but it was that whatever happened in like the sixth century, fifth and sixth century, where like some people think there was some sort of like massive volcano explosion and you know like the crops wouldn't grow for for decades i mean there was just this huge worldwide sort of blackout you know with what we now call the dark ages mm -hmm. right but it was really this period like late mid byzantine period like following the fall of saccharum um by the Visigoths and so on. That was like, things were lost because everything was lost. I mean, people were just starving. You know, there were all these kind of plagues running around, like, what was it, the Justinian plague and mm -hmm. so on. And then, you know, in the Middle Ages, we had the, the Black Death and so on. So I, I again, I think that there's this mythology um, that the church, the church, and let's just say the institutional church was anti-science, and it's just not true. I mean, they, they were studying like Ovid 
in the monasteries too. I mean, they were starting, you know, yes. quote unquote, what they called the virtuous pagans, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think that this, there was always this mythology that arose really during the enlightenment, that there was some sort of demarcation to the pagan world. And then the Christians came along and they destroyed everything. And it was like Stalinist year zero. And it's just not true. Um, a lot of it was environmental. And a lot of it was just like, the, you know, one thing that I've been talking about, you know, the cities basically have like built in auto destruct buttons, right? Yeah. And Rome just became so disgusting and so filthy and so overrun, you know, so disease ridden and just the, the injustice of it all. I mean, like one of the things people don't realize when they talk about like the quote unquote pagan world, which is again, sort of another myth, because if you really look at like the state cults, particularly the solar cults, they're not significantly different from Christianity in any right. way, shape, or form, but they were also like phenomenally unjust because they still sort of believe that whole pagan idea of hierarchies and men being bestowed by the gods and demigods and so on. And the emperors all had to be worshipped as gods. I mean, all this kind of, you know, malignant, maleficent nonsense about, you know, godliness and, and all this kind of thing, hierarchical, right? So it was just phenomenally unjust. And I think what powered Christianity, and I think what a lot of people overlook, is just the incredible economic injustice, the social injustice, um, the disease, the overcrowding, and so on. Because, you know, one thing that I've, I've said a lot before in other interviews is like the feudal system really arose because um, if you were like a Roman knight, you were given a land grant. And then when things really started to fall apart in Rome and you had like the Goths and the Visigoths and this and this and the Celts and all these people sort of running through, destroying everything time after time, it, life just became unviable there. So they moved to their country homes and they just started raising farms and livestock and everything like that. So we, we tend to want to look back through this enlightenment lens and sort of cast moral judgment on Christianity in the mid Middle Ages, but it's all just propaganda. A lot of it to be perfectly yes. frank, is Masonic propaganda. I mean, a lot yeah. of it is written and driven by Freemasonry, you know? So um, it's, it's, just, it's just absolutely not true. And no, like, well, I guess we're sort of losing, I mean, we're seriously losing the science of history in the, in the colleges yes. right now. Yes. Oh my God. But, you know, say like, I don't know, 50 years ago, like somebody like a Will Durant, you know, mm -hmm. like a serious Roman scholar, if you try to tell him all this nonsense, this you know, something that you know was written by um gosh what's the name of that guy uh you know the the rise and fall of rome and all this kind of stuff it's just yeah. like that's just nonsense it's just all propaganda yeah. so we have to sort of expunge our brains of that kind of misinformation the same way we need to expunge our brains of all this hollywood programming about like the space program and stuff see because like you know uh, the mythology of progression and of progressive progressivism, again, is that it's this, this constant process that should be perpetual, but it's only stopped by like, you know, those mean rednecks from the, uh, from the sticks, you know, wh whether they're Visigoths or Christians or Muslims or whoever, you know, right. whoever through our history is blamed for the inevitable and perfectly natural breakdown of social progress, you know, um, 
you know, again, it's just, it's just something that happens. Mm -hmm. And th what we're experiencing now is something that happens. It's happened before, it's going to happen again. Mm -hmm. And what we're facing, what we're looking down the barrel of right now is just, it's just, it's inevitable. And like I said, like getting back to the whole thing with synchronous mysticism, when you, when you are able to study, you know, what, what I call sort of looking at real life or what we call real life through the, the prism of dream logic. And that's really how I would describe that if you know you asked me for a one sentence um, description. Um, when, when you look at the things, when you break them down to the symbols and the signs and the semiotics and the memes and, and all these kind of things, you just have to realize that everything works in cycles and everything works adhering to patterns. Yes. Yes. Yep, I 100% agree. It's all, all cycles. And I think a lot of cycles are ending right now. It's true. Yeah. yeah. It's, you know, in a lot of ways, it's unfortunate. Yeah. You know? But, oh, yeah. Um, Everything is, everything's changed. But at the same time, new cycles began. And, correct. And so somewhere there's going to have to be a bridge. I'm not sure how that's going to happen <laughs> because we're erasing our historical context in this last couple years, three years or four oh, years. God. And, you know, where do we go when you can't buy books anymore? And I mean, this, some of this stuff is just fucked, you know, it, some of the stuff where the, the, the structure, the architecture of what is coming into play is set and, you know, they're being built now. It's, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out because as we all know, a lot of people capitulated with this mass trauma event of the last year and a half. And, and shockingly so, at what point is, are we going to hit this uh, tipping point? Are the people that want to see something different than what we see right now down the road going to stand up and help find a detour? around it are we fated to move through all of this crap that we can clearly see ahead of us it's you know it's up in the air it is up in the air but i think that you know um like i said nature gets gets a vote you know they i vote for nature myself well, nature is my my teacher in the but, end but what what i mean by that is that if your worldview and sort of your social plan is built around defiance of nature, nature gets a say in whether that, that plan will succeed and go forward. hundred, yeah, hundred percent. You know, um, what we see so much of, and I, I just can't help but wondering if there's some sort of setup, you know, it's like, is, are we just witnessing some giant sting operation? But so much of what we see is like defiance of nature and not just like the natural world, what we call the natural world, but just like, like human nature. And just- It's the, like the fact of artifice, right? The I mean, nature of systems, you know, yeah. that systems have a nature. Systems work along certain parameters and they don't work when you just start changing things willy nilly. You know, if, if you're writing, like say you're writing a computer program, right? And you're just like, oh, I don't like this line of code. I don't know why I don't like it. I, I don't like the way it looks going to erase it and and that one and that one you just start taking out all these lines of code at random it's like this is going to work better this is going to work because I, <laughs> I i say it work it's going to work better and if you disagree with me man i'm going to like unperson you you know i'm going to like you're done 
You know, I'm going to deplatform you, unperson you, whatever, because this is the way I say it's going to work. And, you know, and uh, people, people think that they can get away with that shit. And we just see it all over. You know, everybody's like, I'm going to like, just try to complete, you know, a lot of his ego. It's like, I'm just going to completely rework this system. I'm just going to, you know, like math is racist, you know, uh, whatever. <laughs> Spelling is racist. Like all this kind of stuff. It's just like, I'm just going to change it because, you know, this weird cultic mentality that's taken over. And it's like, yes. well, you know what? Good luck to you. Good luck to you. You know, uh, good luck to all of us because complex systems work uh, along complex lines. You know, you can't simplify it because you don't like that complexity anymore. You can't change the nature of something because you don't, you, you're struck by this notion or you're bored with it and, or whatever the case may be. That's just like, I'm just going to change the system. You know, it's like, I'm going to make pancakes with sawdust or motor oil. <laughs> well, wait, they already put, they already put yeah, sawdust right? they in do, right? No, so, <laughs> but it's like, I'm going to make pancakes with, with sand and, and motor oil. They're gonna be good. They're gonna be delicious, you know. And uh, and if you disagree with me, man, that that's because you know you're a counter revolutionary. Because this is the sand and motor oil pancake revolution. You know what I mean? So it's just like, no, you can't do that. You can't do these things. You know, it's just like the system is going to collapse. So I, I just can't help but wonder: is this some? And I I don't let myself get dragged into these kind of mind games anymore. It's like, well, this yeah. is like. It, you know, it ends up like you end up like in Q world. You know what I mean? Where it's just like, <laughs> you don't understand. You know, he woke up and, and wrote Coveffi on Twitter because it's seventh dimensional chess and he really meant, you know, uh, COVID is going to be this. It's, no, it's just like, no, no. You know, it's like, that's, but that's where that kind of speculation and it almost becomes like a form of wish fulfillment. That's where it gets you. And it's like, I just like, oh. You know, listen, that's not my job to worry about it. I'm going to worry about what I worry about and, you know, come what may, you know, I'll, I'll deal with this other bullshit when I have to deal with it. But it's just like, I think the world would be a lot better if people just said, I'm going to just do my job really well, <clears throat> other than like, like I said, I'm going to like create a computer program with, um, <clears throat> with a matchbook, uh, tinfoil and, um, a rubber band, you know, that's going to be, that's how I'm going to create my, my computer. And if that computer doesn't work because of um, counter-revolutionary forces lurking everywhere, you know, white supremacist forces just allowing me to make oh, my Lord. computer out of, um, <laughs> of, of a rubber band, some, you know, bits of tinfoil that I took out of recycling and, uh, and a matchbook, you know, it's just like, no, things have to work a certain way, but you know, people are going to have to learn that all over again. And we're all going to pay for it, but, you know, when you, when you study the natural world, you just, you, you, this is again, what I'm saying, it's like, you, you aren't going to enjoy what happens, but you sort of have this inner peace. Like, it's like, yeah, there are, there are no guarantees in this life, you know, yes. um, this whole idea that there is a guarantee in this life. And that's part of our problem, you know, cause it well, creates like a, go ahead. that created this whole thing, safety, right? The guarantee of safety. Yes. Be safe. <laughs> when people tell me to be safe, I just like, <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna go just like crawl <laughs> over hot coals just just to, I because I don't want to be safe. When did this whole thing like be safe? Like that's like you know, it used to be goodbye. Right. You know, right. somebody would say, God bless you, or whatever. I mean, whatever people would say, good luck. And now it's be safe. It's like, 
it's on all the billboards and everything. It's a, it's a, it's a thing. And, and the projection of what you're doing. So by not participating in a mass psyop, you're the enemy, right? Yes. Yes. I've been the enemy my whole life. Yes. So. <laughs> well, what, all three of us, welcome to the outsiders yeah. club. Yeah, have you seen, uh, have you seen Demolition Man lately? Um, actually, I, I, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I was watching some of it and, uh, the scenes with uh, Sandra Bullock and you know, uh, it's a little, it's a little too close to home. These I know days, it's creepy. It? It's yeah. creepy. Well, I think this is a great point to end it. Good notes here. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great conversation. Did you want to plug your stuff? Uh, yeah. So go to a uh, secret and that will kind of, you know, if you go to the webpage rather than on your phone, it'll, you know, you'll see all sorts of links to like, the patreon and uh the secret history of rock and roll blog and just all the other stuff i'm doing and like i said I, i've got so much so much going on right now and you know like the patreon i didn't want to just have it be like just another blog you're like right. i'm just going to do i'm just going to charge for the secret sun right now you know it's like i'm going to do that i was like this is like a new thing and this is going to be sort of like you know as structured as sort of my add ocd brain can manage but like it's just more in depth and hopefully a little bit more structured. Great. Well, great. thank you, Chris. This has been a great pleasure and a really engaging conversation with yes. you. I very much enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Thanks thank a lot. Thank you. And thank everyone for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks with, I forget who's going to be on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a spaz. I think it's Dan. <laughs> Dan Shukas. Oh, yeah. The Cosmic Cosmic Keys, Keys podcast. Have you been on that yeah. show? Yeah, I have. Yeah. So Dan's, Dan's awesome. Be, yeah, Dan's great. And then we've got uh, Barsky in a couple, four weeks from then. I think so. Oh, excellent. Weaving spiders. Gordon White's going to come on, too. So, <laughs> so we'll have Gordon back. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate you. And we'll see you next time. Take care. <laughs>